welcome to a expanded universe season three episode three built tonica tough the book tales from the mos eisley cantina as edited by kevin j anderson the year 1995 with your hosts jeff and john let's go the myth in the band looked like if the testicle had a butthole on it don't fucking try and explain a skater boy to me okay the young kids don't care for your jizz. They just want to hang around in their rooms and you're goth. Oh, ball sacks, <laughs> he says. Welcome back to Expounded Universe, the Star Wars Expanded Universe novel discussion podcast. Hot shit. You did it. Oh, man, I am giving you a gold star. It's going right up on this board. Oh, shoot. I forgot to hit record, though. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, no, that that doesn't work as a gag, because clearly this is recorded, because people are hearing it. Never mind, I'll have to figure something else out. I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> the bad news is, I didn't hit record. The good news is, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got bad news and good news. The bad news is, there is no good news. <laughs> anyway, want to get a burger? Yes. <laughs> I'm Jeff, that's John. This is the podcast where we talk about old Star Wars novels uh, at length, at far too much length. Too long. We spend more on these than anyone should. Time, money, effort, patience, care, anything. We just spend way too much time with these dumb books. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, today's no exception because we are tackling Chapter 3 of Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina, in which we are going to discuss Hammer Tong, the tale of the Tonica Sisters. Well, it's the tale of the Tonica Sisters. Well, the quotes air are... Air quotes. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just air quotes. They aren't in there in the... Oh, no, the, they are. Oh, they actually put the, the quote in? I didn't even Yeah, see, that's okay. why I knew when this started. I was like, oh, god damn it. You put quotes around Tonica Sisters. What's going on here? <laughs> but before we get into that, John, how the heck are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Yeah, had, uh, had a fun Easter weekend getting, getting up there back to uh, Orange County to see family. See some family. Mm -hmm. Eat some candy. Mm -hmm. Have an egg. An egg, indeed. One egg, please. I literally forgot it was Easter during Easter, because I was busy, because since you were up doing family, I handled all the, the flack and PR running for the uh, the April Fool's episode. Yeah. And uh, so it was just April Fool's to me. At the very end of the day, Florence, my, my girlfriend, handed me a chocolate egg and was like, here, happy Easter. And I was like, what? Oh, oh right. The hell are you talking about, woman? Who? Eoster, e the, the, the god e of springtime and the dawn? Ishtar? <laughs> Hostur? Is that... Was... Haster, Haster, Haster. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, overall, a pretty decent holiday weekend. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, so, otherwise, yeah, this is the tale of the Tonica Sisters, and this is definitely going to be the first discussion we have to have about uh, the Tales from the Mosley Cantina of just lampshading the cantina scene entirely. Well, I mean, it's also the first story we get that isn't someone that we would have known otherwise. Because we started off with the Cantina Band, and then we went to Greedo. Yeah, so you're like, people, all right, these are people we know. Those are big deals, right? They're the only people really left in the Cantina that are big deals that are going to get stories are like Evazon and Ponda Baba. Yeah. Because, you know, they have names and they do stuff in the scene. But, like, so much of this book is going to be given over to... People that were in a background shot. So this goes over to the Tonica sisters, and I think we should start by describing them for people who have no idea what we're talking about. The Tonica sisters are two ladies in weird beehive hairdo, but the beehive hairdo is made out of, like, braids? Yeah, it's like if Bo Derek had black hair and she piled it up into a beehive. Yeah. Uh, so it's these tight braided weavy things 
that are used to make big spirally cup haircuts with a tremendous number of braid leaveovers that are falling down over two identical but different color jumpsuits. So they're both one's wearing like a full blue jumpsuit and the other one's wearing a full green. Yeah. They both have these like insane collar things that are made of alternating silver and black shiny reflective plasticky fabric. I mean, of all the stuff in Star Wars and especially the Moss Eisley Cantina, but even in the whole of the series, they're the most like shitty low budget sci-fi looking oh for sure they look like background extras that barbarella had to fight yeah like this is definitely a thing you would have found in you know like star crash Mm -hmm. you know you you would be looking at one of these and going oh yeah someone in a leotard with a weird you know shoulder pad get up and way too much makeup okay that's an alien yeah it's either an alien or the host of a japanese game show (laughs) And, and, and luckily these ones are aliens the only other part of the outfit that they are even wearing is Oh, gosh, thick, uh, some sort of puffy fabric silver underwear on the outside. It's like they're wearing that, like, V bathing suit Mm -hmm. over the leotard. And because it's a thick, puffy fabric, they can't walk. Luckily, you never see these characters moving in the movie. All of this is based on their test footage, like the shots that they took, like, off or or, uh, between scenes in the movie. But basically, this outfit generates multiple camel toes for all. Anyone ever trying to move around in this thing has three it's or like four an entire camel's worth of toes. Yeah, three or four visible sets of labia. Just <laughs> it is. It is not. I mean, maybe that's their one alien thing. Yeah, they're octolabia. <laughs> They've got octolabia, uh, but but that's basically. It's not a very flattering outfit. No, I mean in the actual movie, you only pretty much see them from like the chest up, and and for like a split second, they're leaning in. They're both leaning in to talk to some guy. Yeah, and, and that is. It. Yeah, that's the Tonica sisters in the movie. And if you don't remember seeing them, it's hard to blame you. You're probably too busy looking at the elephant thing or the wolf guy or the, oh, yeah. the big well, eel monster on strings. I mean, like I said, they're the most generic shitty sci-fi that when you see them, you're like, eh. Like, eh. nothing registers with them. Whereas you look at other things, you're like, oh my god, there's a werewolf and a devil and a, like a bat person and this, this canteen is rad as fuck. Yeah, and then you see those two, and you're like, oh, sweet, the Bengals are in town. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's here for a Human League concert. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, someone just fell out of the 80s into this movie in the (laughs) 70s. Weird. That's pretty impressive. All right, cool. So, so, uh, basically, this story is also, we should mention that this story is Timothy Zahn's contribution to the uh, Star Wars Cantina book. Yeah, this is my first time with good old Timmy Z. Yeah, the the Lord of the Dance, (laughs) Timmy Z. Ah, Timmy Z. So, Tim, so Timothy Zahn is famous for writing the Dark... Uh, no, not Dark Force Rising. Uh, that's the comic book. For writing the Heir to the Empire trilogy, uh, which is the ones about Grand Admiral Thrawn and Mara Jade and Luke Skywalker Luke. and both Joris Sabaoth and Jorus Sabaoth and Talon Card and the Nogri. All kinds of things that you've not only heard about, but several of which have become canon since then. Yeah, uh, God like, knows all I've heard about from that is Thrawn. Thrawn so. is, Thrawn's <laughs> official. He's he's real. He's part of Star Wars. And that means the Chiss are real and are a part of Star Wars, because that's what species he is. Exactly. So so good on Thrawn for or Thrawn, on Zon for managing to get actual shit into the Star Wars continuity. Yeah. It's pretty much just him and the uh, Bill West, the guy who wrote West End Games. Or is it Bill Sinkovitz? I don't know. Anyhow, this is John's first time reading uh Timothy Zahn. And true to form, Timothy Zahn mostly likes to write about well-executed uh, military actions. 
Yeah. He he just he's got a real boner for SEAL Team Six type stuff. Well the fact that the chapter has the like quotes around Tonica sisters and then immediately begins with some weird mercenaries in a bar that are not the Tonica sisters talking to some guy. I'm and like, oh, you fucks. This isn't going to be about the Tonica sisters. You cheater. You <laughs> fucking cheater. So why don't we get through the story here? Let's start out right there at the beginning. We're in a random tap cafe in the city of Gorno. What's a tap cafe? It's a great Star Wars word, isn't it? And who yeah. knows what that is? I mean, it just sounds like a bar that's got like, you know, it's like that Balboa uh, cafe that's tap by house. your house. Yeah, the one that's got like 40 different kinds of beer on tap and 18 different burgers that all cost more than $20. Fuck you, Balboa Tap House. Yeah, Jesus, fuck that place. It's fucking ridiculous. I mean, a- it's a really good burger, but I'm like, I'm not paying you 20 bucks for a fucking burger. You get the hell out of here. It's such a disappointment because it's right between our houses and it would be perfect for meeting locations and having a quick pint before doing something. But then you go in there and it's like, oh man, we can't walk out of this place for less than $80. Yeah. There's no way. You're like, I would like one beer and a burger. That will be $35. Thank you. And you're like, uh, what? Remember where you are. You are next to a laundromat. Yeah, you are in a shitty strip mall. Like, yeah, there's like a Sprouts in there, but come on now. <laughs> there's also, you're like right next to a liquor store and a laundromat. The you first, can't charge that. The first time I walked into that building, this, the exact spot where the Balboa Tap House is now, it was so I could buy a booster box of Weatherlight cards, because it used to be a, a uh, trading card store. Damn. <laughs> I wish they still had that. I might go in there. I'd buy another booster box of Weatherlight. It was a trash (laughs) release. There's nothing good in it. Yeah, fuck Weatherlight. (laughs) So uh, anyway, uh, so the Tonica sisters are hanging around in the Tap Cafe on Gorno. No, they're not. Who is hanging around there, though, is the Mistral. The Mistral Shadow Guard are hanging around in the Gorno Tap Cafe. Uh, There are three of them sitting at a table talking to a nervous but pompous and rich-looking scientist named Dr. Kellering. Yeah, Dr. Kellering is a bumbling, highbrow imperial. He's not imperial technically, but he might as well be. Oh, he's imperial. Well, no, remember he he gets into the point where he's like, we're not imperial, we're just funded by the imperials. No. He, we're, we're saying, you're just saying, I think he might be from an imperial world. Well, yeah, Zahn is like, no, he, he is imperial. All right. He may not be like an he's, imperial officer. He's definitely equivocating about whether or not he's imperial because he's trying to hire these ladies and they don't want to hi- take imperial Yeah, money. they don't like the empire. Yeah, so we get, we, the whole story is told from the perspective of one Shada Ducal. Uh, so, so Shada Ducal is a mistral shadow guard, and we, we learn just a little tiny bit about these folks. Uh, the Mistral Shadow Guard is the all-female elite fighting squad of, of the planet Mistral, which yeah. is a... Led by Granny Goodness, and they go out and... <laughs> ah, they've got Big Barda. <laughs> they got Stompa. Lashina, and uh, who's the other one? And uh, that, that weird, like... The feral one. The feral lady. Yeah. With the claws. I'm sure her name Wolverina. is Wolverina. Wolverina. <laughs> I think her name actually has crazy in it. Oh, good. I'm pretty sure it does, because, you know, it's a Jack Kirby creation, and he does not try very hard if he doesn't have to. Well, no. No. Jack he's, Kirby, he's all about making things look cool, and then he's, he's like, hey, your name is Darkseid. Yeah, no, that's the th- I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Jack Kirby's work. Jack Kirby's work is beautiful. The Kirby dots are gorgeous. All the alien shit he drew was gorgeous. But he takes the low road when it, ta- when it comes to coming up with what all those things he just drew were. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway... Uh, 
they're talking to this Kellering fellow, and he is basically whining out, whining about his life. He's like, oh, we, we're imperial funded scientists and 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 we need to move a thing off planet but i don't think the empire is going to provide appropriate security measures i was really just sort of confused by this because he's like oh we've got a guy who's in charge of security but the scientist who's in charge of the project doesn't like him and thinks we should have more security and i'm like okay how are you hiring mercenaries then like wouldn't you just go hey the Empire, give me more security. I guess the idea is that the dude in charge, I forget his name, because he's not an important character. There's, no, his, his we never like, see him. Uh, his name, I think, was Commander Drome. Yeah. But but his deal was he's very Im- imperially pompous and doesn't think that they need more security. It, it, like I, I think the matter had been floated to him, and he was like, bah, Flimshaw, we'll take care of it. <laughs> yes, Flimshaw. Yeah, he said Bosch and Flimshaw, yeah. Those are also going to be coming up. Two characters from the Moss Eisley Cantina. <laughs> so, so the the uh, the Mistral are basically mercenaries at this point. They used to be like the sort of religious honor guard of of this planet, but Mistral's fallen on hard times under Imperial rule. Yeah, they uh, they had a. I couldn't even tell if it was specifically the Empire fucked them up or the Empire just didn't help them. Yeah, but their planet is boned like yeah. everyone is poor and the planet is kind of fucked up and and the, and the honor guard has switched from fighting their like most important battles to just doing mercenary work and sending the money back to their planet yeah they basically do mercenary work just to make sure that people survive yeah so they don't want to take imperial money but ultimately this whole conversation is more or less a ruse they're gonna take the job they already know that and uh, they just want to make sure that the price doesn't get reje- rejected. So they spend a lot of time hemming and hawing about, like, oh, we don't like Imperial money. And it sounds like your guy's already got his job together. That kind of thing. Yeah. But ultimately, he's like, look, I will pay, uh, or I'll pay any amount if you guys will be willing to run a screen for when we fly the spaceship from one place to another so that rebels don't kill us. Yeah. And they're like, well, yeah, absolutely. We can put 10 ships out in front and then two behind you, and, and that way we'll flash out any of the regular Imperial ambush tactics. And it's all a con game. There are six of these ladies, total. Oh, yeah, they have, like, a ship. Yes. So they're, they're more or less banking on the idea that the Rebels are kind of, you know, thin on the ground. Yeah. And, and so they're, more, they're basically just lying to this guy. Yeah. But they say, okay, and then also the price for this much incredibly powerful, important Mistral Honor Guard action is, is 600 bands. <laughs> 30,000 credits, which, if, since there's six of them, comes out to 5,000 credits each, or 10 bands per person. <laughs> each of them can start, not only just bands, John, but that's 10 bands and 10 tickets off-world for every member of this. Every <laughs> single one of them. Member of this organization. <laughs> that is the guy that keeps on giving. Uh, uh. So they basically agree to take the job with the caveat that they have to go get the credit exchange from Dr. Eloy the leader of the project that they are working on. Yeah, because he's the one who's technically in charge. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, you got to talk to him first. Yes. And the, the Mistral ladies agree to do this. And the whole time, our, our lead character here, Shada, is basically thinking to herself, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up to be a cool paladin of the Mistral people and be all rad and awesome. But instead, I'm just some merc. Yeah. I, man... I, I get it. I know that, yeah. that we're supposed to have, like, uh, our our main character is definitely more than just a mercenary. She's She's got a, a code or whatever, but I'm like, eh, I don't care. 
Like, I know nothing about your planet, and you're not going to tell me anything about it. And also, I'm mostly just pissed that we're not getting the actual Tonica sisters. <laughs> hey, we might still see them. You don't know. I spent this entire chapter being so grumped. You have no idea. <laughs> so, jeez, <laughs> I'm so sorry you didn't get to spend an enjoyable half hour reading about these two characters you never heard of before. That's why I wanted that. I was like, give me some shit that's going on. They're like, no. The whole point of this book is to tell you what's going on in that cantina. Fuck you. Hey, they tell you. I mean, we'll get there, but boy, do they ever tell you. They tell you more about the cantina scene than the previous two chapters did. (laughs) So they head off to this imperial center where the scientists are. So uh, to escort what what they already know is something called the hammer tong. Yeah. Uh, which is apparently just a big piece of Imperial technology that they don't know too much about, but they do know it's very secret. And it's also the nickname of my penis. <laughs> Mine's Ace Cool Penis. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ace Cool Penis, and this is the hammer tong. <laughs> so so uh, they they head off to, to meet the, uh, the uh, Imperials, but they are prepped for an ambush. They send scout, uh, two of the girls ahead as scouts. I'm uh, sorry, two of the Mistral... Little girls. Two four-year-old children. <laughs> they send out uh, some brownies first. I apologize. They send two of the Mistral on a guard ahead of scouts. They send forward <laughs> Manda Dulin and someone else. There's I don't remember all of their names. The two the one of the two who dies, I don't remember their name. Well yeah, because the the main leader of this group of the Mistral is gonna go onto the base by herself. Yeah, that's Manda. And then there's one forward scout. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Shadow, who's like sniping from way back. Carolee, who is waiting for instructions, and in, in, in I, I think hanging around with Shada, uh, uh, but with uh, like a, a speeder bike. Uh, and then there are two. Two of them are piloting ships that they they own, and that's Kai and Silene. Yeah. Uh, I mean, don't don't get used to these names. You're never going to hear them again. Yeah. But Kai and Silene are the two support characters, and then there's. Uh, the other thing is Carolee, the one, the other main character, the other, you know, quote-unquote Tonica sister, her last name is also Dulin, so there's a chance that she's Manda's sister or wife or something, but it's never brought up. Like, Who knows? Even, even though Manda dies horribly right away in this in this section we're reading, Carolee, <laughs> who has the same last name, says nothing and never does. So maybe that's just a cultural thing for them where they don't give a shit about death. Maybe. Who knows? It's, it's just not something that's ever addressed. Or maybe it's just a really common last name. It could just be Smith for, yeah. for these folks. So, uh, so Shada and Carolee, though, are our technical main characters. They are the, the titular Tonica sisters. Yeah. So th- everything goes sideways. As, as they're moving forward to meet with the rebels, it turns out the Imperials caught wind of this plan to hire mercenaries for security, and they show up to kill the mercenaries. Which, why? Yeah, why not just head over to the scientists and be like, hey, these mercs are going to come in here to take the security job. Don't. Yeah, don't you, don't offer them money. Turn the whole thing down and send them on their way. Because they're driving in there, and then like a whole bunch of fucking stormtroopers show up and shoot down the uh, the transport that our main lady is in, and then they start like closing in on the position of the like forward scout. And you go, or you could have just been like, "Hey, no, like we'll meet you at the gate and go." Sorry, we're we're not going to take your mercenary work. Please turn around and leave. Yeah, because at this point, the the mercs, the the, the Mistral Honor Guard, aren't necessarily suspecting that that the hammer tong is really valuable. Well, also, that's it. Feels like that's a really stupid thing to do, just in general, to be like, oh, what is there? An entire mercenary group? Well, let's just try and attack them for no reason. You're like, why? That is a real good way to get your shit fucked up. Yeah, you can. Like, still- even if you win. 
it would be best to just be like, hey, guys, I'm sorry, we're not going to do the job, but here's 5,000 credits for your trouble. The Empire doesn't give a flying fuck about money. No, and it's not like this is, oh, the the Empire was looking for these Mistral and they're wanted. No, they're just some mercenaries. No, they, just need, shit. they just need to send forward their one doofball stormtrooper with, with a bag of 5,000 credits. And just be like, nope, sorry, nope. don't need you. Sir, sir. They turned down the credits and killed us all, sir. That, that, that's I'm a ghost now, sir. <laughs> I'm a force ghost. Who knew? Hey, what do you know? I have the force. Too bad I'm a ghost. <laughs> that's all I have. Oh, oh. no, Scooby-Doo. I'm going to go haunt other stormtroopers. <laughs> hey, hey, you called me poop, dude. <laughs> but now I'm a ghost. <laughs> all right. So, but instead they pick a fight with these honor guard ladies. And that was a mistake because they are actually quite badass. Yeah. Again, like, why? What are we doing? So, so I mean, they, really, the question is, what is the Empire doing here? This is this is a bad Empire decision. Yeah. I mean, they want to get this hammer tong thing off planet, and yet they're doing all that they can to draw as much attention to this fucking base by doing this. So the Mistral Honor Guards start doing badass mercenary things, because that's what Thrawn likes, is cool tactical stuff. Uh, they they start speaking to each other via loudspeakers on their ships because the Empire keeps jamming comm channels. Yeah, they've got their own battle visceral language. battle language that isn't even their standard tongue. It's just only Mistral use it. Yeah, so only these Honor Guard ladies know what it is. So they're shouting to each other via loudspeakers on their speed bu- speeder bikes and stuff in Mistral battle language and giving each other directions, which they're using to handily just decimate Stormtrooper armies. Oh, yeah, because, you know, Shada's doing sniping stuff. She snipes some people before she gets on a bike and then has Carolee be like, all right, you get on your bike and we'll fuck them up. Yeah, So they and then two spaceships show up and start strafing everybody because that's where Kai and Silene were. So they're they're quite handily winning the day. But, of course, it's the Empire, so over a nearby ridge comes several thousand more guys. <laughs> yeah, an entire fucking uh, side of a building flops down and it's just full of batteries of laser blasters. Yeah, and endless stormtroopers just sort of piling up out of the walls and just random, you know, just underneath the floorboards and stuff. Yeah, and yet, through all of this, the, like, three people that are attacking, none of them get hit. Well, yeah. I mean, well, they have dead immediately. Yeah. So, basically, what happens here is Shayna's looking for an escape route, and she spots a, uh, a what was it, a, a, a strike cruiser? Yeah. So, she spots a strike cruiser. Well, she was like, I'm going to bloody their nose, and then we'll leave. Yeah. So, she's like, I'm going to go fuck up this strike cruiser. Which, she mentions on entry of the strike cruiser that it has an active complement of 2,000 people. Yeah. Like, there should be 2,000 troops on this thing. So, she's like, oh, i got to hurry so I can get to the bridge, fire some lasers, or, uh, you know, set this thing to auto-destruct or whatever, and then get the hell out of here. Oh, they have a green mist that fucks up stuff? Sure. That's that was their thing. Like they shot it at some bikes, and the bikes all like malfunctioned or whatever. Yeah, I have the same thing. If I had enough cruciferous vegetables, <laughs> yeah, you got a green mist. I generate a green mist that fucks shit up. Yeah, yeah it's true. Obviously, I, I mean, I don't talk about it much, but I mean, there's a reason that they call my ass the Green Goblin, <laughs> and that's because it hates Spider Man. <laughs> well, there's that, and because it looks and sounds like Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah. Also, yes. All of my farts are just like ha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my ass is something of a scientist itself. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, when she gets on board the strike cruiser, though, she realizes it's basically a big empty shell. Yeah, they've emptied the whole thing out to hold the hammer tong. And there's no one in here because the Empire is dummies. 
Well, yeah, there were 12 people, apparently, but they all came out to shoot at them. Uh-huh. Which they murdered all 12 of the stormtroopers, because of course they did. Uh-huh, that's what stormtroopers are for. And then they were like, oh, I guess that was the only people in here. Yeah. So, she gets to the controls of this, uh, you know, basically cargo hauler now, because it's just a shell, uh, and, and takes off. And, and she has stolen this massive cargo freighter thing made out of a strike cruiser. And uh, her and Carolee are in this thing, and then there are the two support spaceships as well. And they start looking for an escape route right as a Star Destroyer comes popping into the universe. Yeah. Just pops into the local Vorno atmosphere. And they're like, oh, I know someplace we can lay low. It's close by, and there's nothing there, and it's just a real shithole of a planet. Mm -hmm. They call it... Tatooine. Oh, you mean Dantooine? No, I mean Tatooine. Oh, I'm sorry. You must be talking about Sestooine. I'm talking about Tatooine. Uh, I heard you correctly. All right, I'll set courses for Mantooine. <laughs> ah, Mantooine. A real planet in the Star Wars universe. There are four tweens. Four tweens. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they hyper jump, which at first I didn't think they had that capability because they were like, well, where are we even going to put this fucking strike cruiser? We can't go anywhere. This thing's real slow. And they're like, well, just hyper jump to Tatooine. Oh, Oh, right. Okay. We oh, could, yeah, that's right. We could just hyperspace. It's fine. Well, I mean, she she does think to herself, like, I really hope they didn't take away the hyperdrive capability of this when they were, you know, turning it into a shell. And I was just thinking, okay, but how the fuck were they going to get it anywhere if they didn't? <laughs> like, you're not going to go, well, this is a real important science thing we have, and it's time to go at regular speed to someplace. <laughs> we'll see you in a hundred years. That's a good point. Hey, maybe Hethrier was leading the project. We don't know. Yeah, Hethrier's like, oh, I need this hammer tong for my dumb colony project that is the worst, stupidest thing. <laughs> so send it at sublight speed out to my other guys trapped at sublight speed because I'm going to live forever somehow. Yeah, that's my plan. Have you guys heard the legend of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> Uh, you have no idea. Well, maybe you do. How much it annoys me when you say plague ice. What? what, what? It's Plagueis. Darth Plagueis. Plagueis? Yes. Because oh, it's plague and then the word is. Yeah. Plagueis. But it, but it you doesn't... see plague ice every time and I'm like, this isn't a fucking rapper from the 90s. This is not plague ice. <laughs> see, to me it is because U-E-I doesn't have anything in it to indicate that those are different syllables in there. Maybe if you put some umlauts over the I so that I knew that, or the E so I knew that the next part was the beginning of another syllable set, we'd have something to talk about. But the word's not in fucking Hawaiian. <laughs> yeah. You get the shit out of here. It's plagueis until I'm told otherwise. You were told otherwise by fucking Palpatine when oh, he asked if like, you had heard the legend like, of Plagueis the Wise. Like, I'm going to trust fucking Palpatine. He's one of the only two coots in the Star Wars universe that believes in midichlorians. <laughs> Yes, but he is also aware of Darth Plagueis. <laughs> yeah, he's aware of the legend. I'm assuming he read it incorrectly. It's not like he met the guy. Yeah, no, Darth Plagueis was his uh, master. Yeah, he... I know, but only over instant message. Yes, only over Skype, and also he never said his name. <laughs> well, yeah, he used his Skype name. XX Plague Boy XX420. Yes, now listen, young Padawan, ace cool penis. <laughs> oh, thank you, Master Dank Hardcock. <laughs> All right, fine. Darth Plagueis. There you go. Thank you. Jesus. <laughs> I'm talking about a different Darth Plagueis the Wise, John. Yeah. He's a different guy. <laughs> it's a different guy. Totally separate. So, uh... Uh, they jumped to Tatooine, and they managed to land this strike cruiser thing with the plan that they will land it where a sandstorm is about to hit so that it will be buried under sand and thus hidden from the Empire. Yeah, they're they're in the dunes. Yeah, and uh, now they're hanging around in the dunes. 
Uh, they call forward the two ladies from the other ships, and that one of them brings her astromech droid along, D4. Yeah, because they got to figure out what the fuck this hammer tong thing even is. So they look at it. And, and just so you know, it is very, very big. Yes, it's like a football field long, and it's like, oh, it's, it, I think it was like 200 meters long. Yeah, it's like a giant tube. It's, it's a huge, just that big. Yeah, it's a huge tube, and it's very clearly modular. Like, every five meters or so along its length, it just starts over. So it's clear that it's made out of uh, identical parts that just stretch for 200 meters down the line of the center of the strike cruiser thing. Yeah. So they take a look at it. They can't figure out what it is. One of them mentions that it might be some kind of power transfer station or something. Like, maybe it's a new kind of battery. Yeah. Who knows? But they do know that they can take one chunk off it scuttle the rest of the ship, and then try to sell that chunk to the highest bidder or take it for Mistral information. Yeah, because, I mean, having just the one chunk, you're like, oh, that's all you really need because you could replicate from that this whole thing. Now, the the, the uh, Honor Guard are starting to get freaked out here because that sandstorm's coming stronger than they thought. And it's it coming might... and it's coming hard. Yeah. <laughs> and when Peanut comes heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, So they're getting prepped so that they won't literally be buried under sand and just die down there. Uh, meanwhile, Shada and Carolee make plans to head into the local city. Uh, but as they're doing so, all of a sudden, a space battle starts that they all have to watch. Because of course they do. They're freaked out that it might be the Empire chasing them. Yeah, I'm going to say one of the better things that this chapter does, though, is very, very definitely makes it so that everything is from the point of view of these people, mm -hmm. where... Every time, like, some stormtroopers show up, or there's a Star Destroyer, or anything happens, they're like, oh, that's because of us. Everyone's looking for us. We're the most important people here. Yes. And, you know, the thing they're actually watching is the beginning fight where they catch Leia and they shoot the droids down. Yes, yeah. So one Star Destroyer pops up and slow chases the Corellian Corvette for a while. And then uh, two more Star Destroyers suddenly pop in and just kind of seal the deal. And they're like, Jesus, whatever's on that Corellian uh, Corvette must be super crazy important. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they have no idea what they're watching. They're just, they're just watching it all happen in space. Uh, so they're like setting up shields and camo netting and just waiting for the sand to cover them. They make plans to head into Mos Eisley for the purposes of finding a freighter to hire so they can carry a chunk of this ship away, or this hammer tong thing away. Yeah, because it's so huge that even the chunk isn't going to fit on the other ship. They describe the chunk as being three meters by five meters. So, you know, nearly 12 feet long. Uh, it's a big piece of machine. It's like trying to transport basically a car. Oh, yeah. No, this, I mean, it would be like sticking out the back of it. You'd have to open up the trunk of the starship. and. Oh, yeah, the Falcon would have to tie red stri uh, strips of cloth to the back of the hammer tong. And uh, oh, yeah. Have a, like a chase ship flying along behind it with a blinking sign that says wide load. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Normally, that's what the Kowakian lizard monkey on Jabba's lap is for. <laughs> Normally. <laughs> that's, what his, that's, uh, that's what his salacious crumb is all about. Making sure that if Jabba goes anywhere, he holds up the wide load sign. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, this is a new bit of interesting technology that the, uh, the Mistral Shadow Guard carry around. They have, like, Star Trek-style scanners with them all the time, where they can just get any information. They have cell phones. They have the best cell phone ever. They have basically what we were promised Google Glass would do, uh -huh. where you could, like, look at someone and it would look up all the information on them. Yeah. Uh, but more than that, right before they leave, they, because it's just the two of them going into town, they run through a database of possible uh, disguise options based on actual records of real people in the galaxy and who they look like. So, for example, it, it just goes, all right, well, it's Shada and Carolee who are leaving into town. All right, who are their doppelgangers? Who are their doppelgangers? And not only that, who are their doppelgangers that are often seen together? 
And like the, uh, that database is so useful. That is an insane AI. Like that is just like fuck, why does no one else have this? That's so good. I mean, granted, if it was, you know, me, it would just be like Seth Rogen who let himself go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, it tells them that they could probably pass as Brea and Seni Tonica, a couple of con, uh, con women who have been known for stealing money from Imperial ca- uh, captains and commanders all across the sector. Uh, and as a result, they have to dress in ridiculous outfits. Yep. Which they have? Well, like, presumably. I mean, they're, they have, they do have their two spaceships, so... Yeah, but I, I'm i still just like, hold on. Where did you get this fucking outfit from? Though, I mean, they ran that, that computer simulation of who can we dress up as long before this. They run that all the time. And they were like, well, okay, to dress up as these, as these two, as these two, like, con women, we're going to need, uh, well, stupid jumpsuits, big, big silver lame underpants uh, that are overpants, and of course, we're definitely going to need giant weaves. I. So is that why they can't fit the hammer tong? Because they've got a giant fucking costume closet so that everyone can dress up as random people. Well, there were only six of them, and each one of. I mean, I'm guessing that they probably look pretty similar. I'll bet you a lot of their outfits were the Tonica sisters. <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> look, we've only seen two of them, unrelated, and they're basically identical. <laughs> uh. For years, I thought these two were the Tonica twins. And they are. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, they, they have the outfits on board. So they, they head into Mos Eisley dressed as Brea and Sani Tonica in outfits that they think are stupid. And this just makes me worry that the rest of this whole book is going to be that. Well, yeah, I mean, this is very much Zahn going, uh, this is dumb. I don't want to write You know it. what's stupid is stuff from the movies anyway. You know what's cool? These lady mercenaries I have, and they think this is stupid too. Yeah, and now now I'm just really worried that the next chapter, which is about Muftak and Cabe, is going to have Muftak the Talls pop his helmet off to reveal that he's just a cool human in there. Yeah. <laughs> just pop All right, that's enough of pretending to be a Talls. Yep, back to being me, rad mercenary ace cool penis. I'm making it work, John. It's a thing now. It's it's a it's a thing. <laughs> so uh, I've got to go fight my Sith nemesis, Dank Hardcock, <laughs> Darth Dank Hardcock. <laughs> so <laughs> also, Cave the Tal, uh, the Cave the Chadra fan is just a Chadra fan. They're cool. Yeah, Chadra fan are cool. We don't need to change this. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, they they just put hang a big old lampshade on how lame their outfits are, and then they head to that cantina. Yep, and this is the point where you can tell Zahn just sort of checks out from the story. Because up until this point, the writing has been very good. It's obviously, you know, done by a professional writer that knows what the fuck they're about. Yeah, the story's rad as heck. All this stuff that, they, that they've been doing before this point is is neat. They, they keep considering unusual angles and trying interesting things. Yeah, it's the fun. battle descriptions are good. Yeah, it's, it's rad. But then we get to the cantina, and... Uh, and he basically may as well have just had the cantina scene on in the background, and he was just typing down what he saw. Yeah, it's like if Vegeta had seen the cantina scene in the first time he ever saw him, and he saw that scanner and wouldn't stop fucking talking about it. <laughs> you know? Oh, look at that. There's... There, check this out, Kakarot. There's, there's an Aqualish over there, and his power level is 500. He's a smuggler. <laughs> yeah, it's just them taking their dumb scanner, and they're like, ah... That looks like Panda Baba and Dr. Evazon. This guy is a smuggler, and that guy is wanted in 12 systems. Who could have known? Anyway. Oh, listen, he just said it. There it is. <laughs> yeah. you're. The whole thing is them just 
scanning the people in the room and saying the names. And then agreeing that they shouldn't go over there. So yeah. each time they'd be like, that's uh, that's an Aqualish named Ponda Baba. He's a smuggler. We should consider him for talking to. Oh, he's being aggressive to that random sand shit. We should probably not go over there. Ooh, there's Dr. Evazon. He's wanted in 12 systems for illegal medical experimentation. Yuck. Let's stay away from him. I agree. Away from him is where we should stay. Oh, look. Han Solo. Look, there's a Wookiee. Oh, good. A Wookiee. <laughs> Wookiees have a power level beginning at 900. <laughs> we should talk to them because Han Solo is a smuggler. Oh, no. That Jedi Knight we saw earlier is talking to him now. We cannot approach him. We should approach him later. Yeah, it's... Goddamn. The whole cantina scene is just... He has completely decided to not give a fuck and is like, Hey, everyone. Let me give you word for word the uh, interactions that fucking Luke has with Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazon. And then I'm going to go ahead and also say what happens between Han and Greedo. Yeah. The only part that's any interest is when they see Obi-Wan go into action and cut off or cut down uh, Ponda Baba and Evazon. And they're like, damn, a Jedi Knight. I thought those were gone. Yeah. Crazy shit. I mean, if those guys were still around, maybe our world wouldn't be completely fuckoed. Yeah. And that's that's the mostly interesting most interesting part. And then you know Greedo pops up, and one of them goes like, "Ah, now now we can't go to Han Solo because of Greedo. He is a level four bounty hunter." Ah, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Han Solo is a level twelve smuggler, so he just picks Greedo apart, just destroys him, mm -hmm. and then leaves through the back. And then they were going to go follow him. But stormtroopers come in. Yeah, some bumbly stormtroopers make their way in, along with an imperial uh, diplomat sort of guy who's like, Aha, the Tonica sisters. Thought you'd got away, did you? Well, Moff, what's his fuck? We'll love to know that you're back. And those 50,000 credits you owe him. That's as many as 100 bands. <laughs> and he needs 100 bands. <laughs> Because of how much he loves jizz. <laughs> he loves he it. He loves Can't get enough jizz. He loves jizz a hundred times more than that shithead over there. <laughs> I, I like jizz okay. <laughs> it's just some alien in the yeah, bar. Yeah, just some alien. He's like, hey, jizz is pretty good. My name's Felta Pernjavag. I like jizz one time. One time jizz. That's that's what they call me. Oh, one time jizz. <laughs> we got to remember that when we do Felta Pernjavag's story. <laughs> Anyway, it turns out that their plan to dress up as known criminals has backfired because they are caught for being known criminals. Indeed. They are thrown into the jail cell of Tatooine, which is just some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the two of them are hanging around in their Barbarella outfits, uh, stuck in a, in a Tatooine jail with nothing. Uh, they have a toilet and uh, cots, and one of them immediately starts picking apart wiring and trying to escape. While the other one is, like, trying to get the guards involved so that they can work the guards. Well, yeah, the uh, there's a, like, two-way mirror there. Mm -hmm. So she's like, oh, you should try and ask for food. Use that mirror over there so that, like, she can block the view so they don't see her fucking around with the light fixture to get, like, wires out. Yes. So they ask for food, and the guy's like, no, no food for you. Food's in two hours. You go ahead and starve to death, and I don't care. Man. And then a second guy shows up. I don't I don't know what this guy's actual role is here. It's like, I think he's probably part of the provisional, like, uh, pr police department of Tatooine or something. Possibly. He could be a stormtrooper or an imperial officer in some capacity. Like, I, d I don't think he's 
actually Imperial because at some point the other guy leaves mm-hmm. and is like, oh, they're they're calling for all these stormtroopers to do stuff. Yeah, the best I could figure was that he was like local Tatooine security, yeah. which I didn't think was a thing. He's like the local cop that yeah. exists around here. So this dude's name is Ridge. Right, Ridge. 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 We'll go with Ridge. Yeah, or do sure. we want to make that a hard J? Reeg. It's Reeg. He's, he's Regis. Reeg. His full name is Regis. Yeah, and he's here to save uh, Carrie Lee. <laughs> so, uh... Reeg and Carrie Lee. <laughs> so, so Ridge, Ridge Winward shows up, and he's like, hey, I heard you had new prisoners. What's the deal? And they have a... The, him and this guard have a long, involved discussion about Tatooine, like, prison politics at the moment. Where he's like, yeah, the Empire's stormtroopers keep locking dudes up in our jails and then making us watch them. It's the worst. I'm so busy right now. I'm running 30 different identification scans. Which is, you know, the reason for why these two ladies have not already been caught. Yeah, they're just sitting there until they can go elsewhere. And also, you know, most of the Imperial people on the planet are looking for those fucking droids. Mm -hmm. They want them two droids. They want them. Yeah. And, And if they see them, they'll definitely won't move along. They'll just they'll just stop and get the droids. Yeah. So they basically the, the two ladies have managed to convince the one guy that they're super hungry and he is going to go get them some ration bars. So since Ridge has just asked if he can check out the new prisoners, uh, the the guard says like, hey, Ridge, stay here. Watch those two. You can check them out while I'm doing that. I'm going to go get them a couple of ration bars. Yeah. And Ridge seems to know what's going on. He's a little more up to speed than most of the, the people they've met so far. He's like He like, starts being like, Sly questions like, oh, the Tonica sisters, huh? I heard you had left Tatooine a few hours ago. And specifically, you left Maz Eisley on a shuttle taking you to Jabba's palace. Hmm. Isn't that what happened? And they're like, uh, we came back. <laughs> Unfortunately, we came back and got caught. Whoops. And then he's like, I don't even think that's who you are. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's a little back and forth. And then eventually he's like... All right, I'm I'm done fucking around with the dumb, subtle bullshit. I know you're not the Tonica sisters. What's going on? Yeah, and they're like, all right, fine. So here's the deal. Uh, we will cut you in on, on a deal if you can get us a freighter. Yeah, if you get us some ship to actually get this fucking hammer tong thing out of here, we'll cut you in on it. Yeah, well, th- th- I think they offer him money. I forget the specific thing they offer him in exchange. Uh, because at this point, we don't know who he is. He's just He looks like he's just a corrupt official in the local tattooing uh, security department. Yeah. Uh, so he somehow manages to arrange a freighter for them, like right away, because he says, oh, we have about an hour for me to arrange a freighter for you because there's a second sandstorm coming and it's going to put your ship under 40 feet of sand. Yeah. So in about an hour, we have to get you guys out of prison, get you to this freighter, get the freighter out to your ship, disconnect that chunk of the hammer tong, and then everything's going to be fine. Yeah. And basically, that's what happens. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of action here. He just lets them out. Yeah. He's like, yeah, here we go. No one will question this. Yeah. So he just lets them out, and then they all go together out to the ship, uh, where, as the three of them walk up, the, uh, the Shada says some stuff in her cool battle language, and the other two uh, Shadow Guard, who were hiding with guns, kind of just come out of hiding, because they were going to blast him. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, what's going on? So they, they, I don't know why they cut him in so strongly here, but they bring him in to see the, the hammer tong, and he's like, holy shit, do you guys even have any idea what you have? Yeah, he's like, oh, motherfuck. Oh, for fucking God. I I need this. I need this right now. And that's when we get the big reveal of what the hell this thing is. It's one of the eight laser batteries that feed the Death Star super cannons. Yeah. So this thing is, they're like, oh, this is just part of a laser? Holy fuck. Because this is like DS segment seven. Yeah, DS2 segment seven. 
which means it's the it's one of the eight laser battery arrays that power the gun on the second Death Star. Yeah. Uh, and, and presumably they're just going to have to build another one now. But but it's really important that the the rebels find this thing. And wouldn't you know it, Ridge Winward is a secret rebel. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, the rebels really need to know all they can about the Death Star. This is super important that we get this. Please, please let me have it. Yeah, and they're like, what? No, that's no, you stupid. Go fuck yourself, that I don't care. That won't help the Mistral out. Look, buddy, we're no friends of the Empire, but but uh, giving you this would leave us with nothing. And he's like, uh, okay, well, how about plan B then? Join the rebellion, you dummies. Hey, You guys hate the Empire, and they're currently trying to kill you. Wouldn't you like a support network? <laughs> and they're like, nah. Uh-uh, honor code, something, whatever. Mercy. No, we're, we're more concerned about our own people than we are the rest of the galaxy, so fuck you, buddy. Yeah, fuck you, Mr. Buddy. But they aren't mean to him. They do. Oh, Mr. Buddy. <laughs> Mr. Buddy. Fuck you a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Buddy. Fuck, it's a fun. <laughs> so, but they do give him a car, basically. They give him an airspeeder. And they're like, all right, you can go and we won't, you know, no one's ever going to talk about this ever again. But we're leaving in this shuttle. Yeah. And they, uh, while they are prepping to leave, they all start looking around because they realize that they have lost their droid. Yeah, they're like, all right, everybody set. We're ready to go. Like, yeah. Hey, where's D4? Uh, I thought he was on your ship. Well, I oh. thought he was on your ship. And then, of and course... Turns they... out Jawas got him. And so we have to do a long <laughs> subplot where, <laughs> where, where, where he's on one of those sand crawlers and... No, oh, obviously Ridge took it. And yeah. they call him up and they're like, hey, Ridge, you're an asshole. And he's like, yeah, I know. But, but hey, here's where you can get your droid back. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take the schematics that your droid was scanning the fucking thing for. And uh, I'm not going to keep him. You can come get him. I don't give a fuck. All I want is the info. Yeah, and at that point, they're kind of like, hey, you know what? He's a slick son of a bitch, that Ridge Windward. That guy, he he certainly got us good. You I hate, can appreciate a good prank. You hate to see him go, but you love to watch him leave. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so they, he gets away, and the Rebels are now going to have the uh, the plans. In, in addition, he also points out some details about the Death Star Super Cannon. He points to a little plaque on it that's like, hey, look at this. This tells you who built it. It's a uh, Death Star Mark II, uh, cannon number seven of eight. And they're like, wow, Jesus, this thing is one of eight cannons? This is ridiculous. And it was built by Doctors Eloy and Lemelisk. Okay. Just in case you were curious about who built the super cannon. I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a little disappointed that it didn't mention the other person who built all the Death Stars, uh, Dr. Quee-Zux. <laughs> Uh, oh, Dr. Zux. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce that, John. How would you pronounce X-U-X? I mean, probably Zux. Yeah. Chuck, Chucks? Chuch. Chuch. Dr. Chuch. <laughs> That's her. Dr. Chuch. <laughs> boop, boop, Chuchy, she routinely <laughs> says. <laughs> uh, yeah, Q-W-I-X-U-X. Queezus. Ba-da-ba-quee, dot-dot-dot-dot-Zux. Queezus. <laughs> so... We're, I'm a little sad that she doesn't get a mention, but then again, that's because Timothy Zahn probably has very little respect for the works of Kevin J. Anderson. I mean, probably. I do. I, I do. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, we don't ever see Ridge again. He gets away, and as he's leaving, our heroes spend some time going, wait a minute, maybe he was right. Maybe it is time for us to start fighting for a cause we give a fuck about. <laughs> but first... Let's go sell this shit. Yeah. So off they fly with this chunk of Death Star Super Cannon, which I can't imagine is all that useful unless you have a ridiculous amount more of it and a Death Star in which to mount it. Well, I mean, I have to imagine that you could just have one eighth the power of a Death Star mm -hmm. and be like, 
oh, we just shoot the laser through this one cannon instead of eight of them together. Like, yeah, I'm sure that that's very good. I mean, certainly that shows up in the Rogue One movie. Yeah. Where they shoot one laser's worth of fire and blow up Jetta. Yeah. So, so I'm like, yeah, if you've got, like, somewhere to put a giant fuck-off laser cannon, mm-hmm. then sure, this would be great. My guess, though, is, and, and this is unfortunate, that the next possible home for this chunk of, of Death Star Super Laser Cannon is probably Durga the Hut. <laughs> Like if we're if we're talking expounded universe, this is going to become a chunk of the uh, the dark saber. Uh, boo. <laughs> so, because I mean, th- there's only the three Death Stars that the Empire built that we know about, and there's only one other Death Star super laser out there, and it's Durga the Huts. <laughs> so I'm guessing that he bought it from them, and then he made that ridiculous dark saber thing before he was taken out by General Crix Maydeen. <laughs> Good, great. You remember Crix Maydeen? He's that guy who gets introduced in New Hope, and he has a '70s beard. Uh, yeah, sure, why not? Uh-huh. Everybody remembers Dot General Crix Maydeen. <laughs> Everybody remembers the guy with a 70s beard in Star Wars. <laughs> Fine. Fair point. Uh... <laughs> Don't you give me the double deuce. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so... Too late. <laughs> so anyway... I'm going to give you the old Tonica sisters. Hey! <laughs> We don't know what they would give me. We never met them. <laughs> all we know about them is that they own some owe some random moth twenty five thousand credits. That's that's all we know. Yeah. So uh, so there you go. That's they, they end on the Mistral Shadow Guard thinking maybe we should join the rebellion. After all, we're exactly the sort of shit Timothy Zahn likes to write about. Yeah. Badass mercenary units that fight like SEAL Team Six. That's if what he SEAL, loves. If SEAL Team Six spoke a, a, a made up battle language. Oh, they do. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, they've got yeah. that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just Overwatch basics, though. <laughs> uh, Hanzo on your six. Oh, I'm not worried about that. Oh, uh, no one cares. Why would I worry about Hanzo? Oh, no. Hanzo killed me. Oh, he's good. It's a Hanzo main. We've got a Hanzo main. <laughs> oh, man. That was their code word for uh, for Osama bin Laden. <laughs> All right. We're on the lookout for Hanzo main. <laughs> anyway, uh, John, what did you think? Uh, I, like I said, I was super grumped the entire chapter because even though well-written, uh, my first exposure to Timothy Zahn, when he wants to, he can write real well, Mm -hmm. but (sighs) fucking taking this scene from the cantina and just being like, oh no, it had nothing to do with that. I'm going to write about what I want to write about and fuck the cantina. I'm like, come on, man. It's very true. He... His cantina scene is so perfunctory in a book about the cantina. <laughs> I mean, it's literally just like these two characters walk in, grab seats, and describe it for us. Yeah, they're like, oh, and here is the cantina. This is the scene that happened. Anyway, we leave and continue on the cool story we had. It, it almost seems like the two of them have a copy of this book. I mean, I have to imagine he was writing this story about the Mistral. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I've got a cool short story. And they're like, hey, we need a short story, but it needs to be about the Moss Eisley cantina. And he's like... Fuck, fine. Uh, fine. Are there two random hot women in the cantina? Why, yes. I'm sure he was like, is there any hot ladies there? Yeah, there's two of them. All right, I'll take two of the characters from mine and put them in there. Whatever. Yeah. Originally, it was going to be one, but fine. Yeah, I was just going to send Shada in there because it's obvious I mean, this is my only main character, but I'll send another one in. Sure. I mean, ultimately, the entirety of this story revolves very little around the cantina. They are caught by the Empire in there, but that's the only thing that happens. Oh, yeah, the cantina does not matter to this story at all. Yeah, it's like, why are they in there? Because they're looking to hire a smuggler. Do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least with Greedo, it was everything in his life led up to that moment in the cantina. Yeah, because he kept making the worst possible decisions. Yeah, and the same thing with 
figuring Dan and the modal nodes. You're like, oh, yeah, everything was leading to them getting to this cantina. Mm -hmm. Whereas that story is, oh, everything led to them getting to this cantina, and then it didn't matter, and then they left, and then kept on doing their story. And you're like, oh, okay, great. This is, you really did just, like, find a part in your short story typed out what happened in A New Hope, and then went back to your short story. I mean, on the other hand, I can kind of appreciate that, because I don't want every single person in that cantina experiencing their life's climax today. <laughs> like, that just seems like it's a little silly. That's like a crash movie or something. What are you doing in there, like, uh, the random Deveronian devil-looking man? I'm experiencing the epiphany of my life! Dude, that would be amazing, That's though. probably what's happening. I need that to be a thing that happens i mean the one thing the, the nice thing is that at least with figure and dawn and the modal nodes it's not that they're experiencing their epiphany in the cantina the cantina is just where they're laying low after all the good shit happened oh yeah but for the other two stories at least have been we're working to the cantina yeah whereas this is like this is an afterthought yeah no it's true the cantina feels very added on which is hilarious and it's not even the characters that we should have done <laughs> Like <laughs> it's two characters pretending to be those characters because the, the Tonica same... sisters existed before this got written. Like they had those names. Oh yeah, they've been named that since like 1977. They're in all those old visual encyclopedias and stuff. Yeah, so they're like, oh, these are actual characters. Oh, I don't want to write about those actual characters. Fuck you. <laughs> it's uh, it's an interesting decision, and I'll be curious to see how many times this pops up throughout the course of the book. Yep. You know, by the way, John, we got some comments on the last episode about Greedo that uh, that's, that chapter in particular has been dramatically overwritten by the fact that Greedo is a child on Tatooine during Phantom Menace. Well, I mean, it could just be a guy named Greedo. <laughs> it could. It could. In fact, there is a cut scene from Phantom Menace where Greedo's the, the actor playing Greedo is called Greedo by Anakin. What? Uh, it, in the actual movie, he just wrestles with him a little bit when he's getting in and out of his pod racer. Yeah. And it's very clear that Greedo is just some little person in a Greedo outfit because he is far too wide to how tall he is. Ah. He looks like one of those long shots of the Hobbits in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. You know, whenever they cut way out to a, for, to a long shot so they don't have to show you that it's very clearly uh, one of the actors. And it's just all of a sudden they're waddling. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Greedo looks like all the way through Phantom Menace. Like, uh, oh yeah, that's normal for Rodians. They start out as chondroplastic dwarves, and then they grow up into dudes in bad costumes. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> that's the the normal life change for a Rodian. <laughs> they got they undergo a cocoon phase, <laughs> where they're super into the movie Cocoon. The same. <laughs> I've watched it so many times. It's got the goot. It's so good. <laughs> Wilford Brimley in the goot. I want to watch old people fuck in a pool. <laughs> <laughs> and they've already banned me from the YMCA, so <laughs> nothing left for me but the JCC and very specific porn stores. <laughs> oh, and the movie Cocoon. And the movie Cocoon, yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so yeah, coming up next week, we have an exciting one to look forward to, which maybe you've never heard of the characters, but both John and I are huge fans, <laughs> which is the tale of Muftak and Cabe. I have no idea who either of those are. Oh, shoot. Then it's just me who's excited? Yes. Oh, I mean... You know who I, Cabe is. I know who Cabe is, because it's Chadra fan, and his little bat person, and that's adorable. Yeah, he gets a drink in both hands and walks off squeaking. Yeah, that's that's so cute. Yeah. And I know that the towels, I know what a towels is. Yeah, the towels are the big four-eyed white Wookiees with a needle for a face. Yeah, they got them little hooter noses. Yeah, they got a, they got a proboscis nose. Yeah. Four eyes, proboscis nose. They're basically big woolly moths. Yeah, sure. Uh, they're from, like, ice plants and stuff. Uh, and and Muftak is one of those. So that's going to be an exciting story to look forward to. Yeah, I have to imagine that most of it is going to be Muftak being like, it's so fucking hot. Oh, my God, I come from an ice planet. Why did I come here? Oh, I'm dying. And then Chadrafan, Cabe's going to be like, shit, does this planet even have a nighttime? Fuck this. 
God. Three goddamn sons. This is the worst. Why am I on this planet? <laughs> uh. Why are either of us here? Anyway, I assume we're both going to join the Rebellion. <laughs> anyway, we're both Jedi. I think we should probably be running an over-under on how many of these characters join the Rebellion by the end of their story. I don't know. I mean, I assume not a lot. Or start thinking about it, at least. I don't know if I would have counted the Shadow Guard as joining the Rebellion by the end, but pretty much, yeah? Nah. I mean, that's next step for them. <laughs> ah. They're not going to do anything interesting before they join the Rebellion next. Nah. Anyway, so that's what we have to look forward to next month during Chapter 4 of Tales from the Isla Cantina. Play it again, Figrin Don, the tale of Muftak and Cabe. Uh, otherwise, John, we want to talk about the stuff we always talk about at the end of these shows? Of course. And uh, if you like what you are listening to, if you love everything we do on this show and all of our other many beautiful, gorgeous shows, you can support us at Patreon. Patreon.com slash System Mastery and... We've got bonus content for you. Mm-hmm. We have so much bonus content. If you give us any amount of money at all, you'll unlock the bonus content for our other show, System Mastery, which is two episodes a month on average that are us making characters in the game we just reviewed. But if you give us the new floor $2, you'll unlock the bonus content for this show, where we go on Wikipedia, find interesting stories from the world of Star Wars, normally related to the episode we just did, and then bring them back to you and to each other, because it's a surprise what we're going to do. Yeah, we don't really know what the fuck we're doing here. Yeah, I have an idea, John has an idea. We're not sharing them, because the the reactions are just more genuine that way. Oh yeah, we really like to get get real true reactions from people. That's that's our method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we work raw. <laughs> we work gorilla style. We raw dog it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> We don't like the condoms of preparation. <laughs> uh, so you can't feel anything that way. <laughs> we like to really feel it. That's how we. That, that our entire improv style is best described as kind of like a rhythm method. <laughs> we don't pull out of this bit until it's done. <laughs> there you go. We like to leave the bit dripping. <laughs> So anyway, that was gross. You can support us on Patreon. And of course, if you want to uh, talk to us at any point, we are active on Twitter, Facebook. You can send us an email. Uh, we're System Mastery on all of those. Yeah, System Mastery at gmail.com and also Reddit. You can find all those places. Send us your comments, concerns, questions, gifts, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So otherwise, uh, we are just now about to stop this recording and go record the bonus content for this episode. Uh, otherwise, we do want to thank everyone for listening. And until next time, I've been Elan Sleesbagano. Except I love- I'm not. I'm actually Dank Hardcock, <laughs> and I love Death Sticks. Shit. Dank Hardcock, my nemesis. I, Ace Cool Penis, must stop him with my X-Wing. Wing.